Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. The Labor Fed to Congress. Stand with workers and let's get the PRO Act going. AFGE members take to the streets. Today on the show, we check in with the American Legion and the Alliance for Retired Americans. Welcome to the Friday, February 17th edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. Two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with a longtime supporter of the show. That would be Jeff Stouffer, who heads the media and communications department of the American Legion. For complete updates, legion.org. Lots to cover today. We're going to start off talking about their uh, Washington conference, which will be staged starting February 26th, and it should culminate on March 2nd with the National Commander's Testimony before the House and Senate Committees on Veterans Affairs. And there's lots on the agenda, like mental health, suicide prevention. President Biden referenced this in his State of the Union message, and he said the VA is slowly moving in the right direction. Before Biden took office, there were about 25 vets that died, average, every day. They're at about 17 right now, so they're making some progress. We'll talk about VA health care modernization. The PACT Act, that's a big piece of legislation that passed in the 117th Congress, ensuring millions of toxic exposed vets will now have access to health care and compensation that they deserve. In fact, the VA estimates there'll be up to 7 million new disability claims filed due to eligibility expansion under the PACT Act. Let's see, there's another here, protecting veterans from predatory actors, uh, a GI Bill for honorable service, protecting the American flag, paying the Coast Guard, supporting our Afghan allies, and just enhancing the military quality of life. Just to run down a few that will be discussed at that Washington conference. Then we're going to focus on the uh, the March issue. And this is very appropriate because March is Women's History Month. So part of the um, magazine for the March issue, we'll talk about that. And they have a story that's quite fascinating. After celebrating its 25th anniversary last fall, the Military Women's Memorial is continuing its nationwide push to collect and document the stories of women who served in the military. So uh, Matt Grills did that story. We'll talk about that. And lastly, this is something that Jeff went to Idaho. He's from Idaho. And uh, he spent a good, good degree of time there working on this story. It's titled Model Prisoners, where a legion post in Idaho's State Correctional Institution showcase as an example for others nationwide. You may not know this, but there are about 200,000 veterans that are in prison 
in the United States of America, 200,000. Many of them are about to get out, so you got to connect them with good jobs. And uh, one of those involved in the Legion said, there's a lot of jobs out there right now, 11 million jobs, and only 6.5 million people looking for those jobs. So what we got to do is make sure that those that are coming out of prison get the skills needed to connect with those jobs. And we're talking, you know, people that made a mistake serving some time in these correctional facilities. And Jeff zeroed in on Idaho, and he'll talk more about that. And apparently it's a very successful program. Norm Wernett will be joining us later in the show. He's actually filling in for Rich Fiesta. Norm is the head of the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans, national website, retiredamericans.org. And uh, number one, we're going to talk about Social Security and Medicare. Of course, President Biden references in his State of the Union message, making sure that uh, he will not approve any cuts or changes to Social Security and Medicare, which has been floating around for a long, long time. I'm telling you, ever since Social Security started under FDR, we're going back to the mid-30s, there have been attacks on Social Security. Many call it a Ponzi scheme. It's not sustainable. You may recall back in the 1980s, they revisited the formula when Reagan was president. And we're at the stage right now for, I believe, the next 10, 12 years. It's pretty solvent. And then after that, there may be some cuts. So some tinkering has to go on right now, let's be honest, to make sure that it goes well into the future. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about with uh, Norm Wernett president of the Ohio Alliance of Retired Americans. Now a brief look into the world of labor brought to you by Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. The AFL-CIO is calling on members of Congress to stand with working people by once again co-sponsoring the bipartisan Richard L. Trumpka Protecting the Right to Organize Act which is to be introduced in the coming weeks by Representatives Bobby Scott and Brian Fitzpatrick. Now, the PRO Act passed the House with bipartisan support in the previous Congress, but it did not go anywhere in the Senate. The bill would restore the original intent of the National Labor Relations Act since It eroded by corporate interest to protect workers throughout the organizing process and beyond. Labor Fed says for too long, employers have been able to violate the law with impunity, routinely denying working people our basic right to join with co-workers for fairness on the job. Restoring our middle class is dependent on strengthening our collective power. So the PRO Act would essentially stop bosses from dragging their feet on Negotiating a first contract with a union. Boy, you see a lot of that. Protect our right to picket or go on strike. Prohibit. This is a biggie. Prohibit captive audience meetings. Eliminating right to work. I tell you, it's got a lot of components. Will it pass in the Senate this time? I doubt it. But you know what? You can't stop fighting. You got to keep throwing it in their face. Thrown in their face. And eventually... Something's going to stick. Starbucks CEO Howard Schultz has refused an invitation to testify in front of Congress regarding ongoing unionization efforts by Starbucks Workers United. 
Senator Bernie Sanders, who chairs the Senate Health, Education, and Labor and Pensions Committee, and 10 other senators on the committee wanted Schultz to speak to Starbucks' union-busting efforts in a public hearing, which would be on March 9th. Well, as you know, workers have successfully voted to unionize at more than 250 Starbucks locations, and the NLRB regional offices have issued more than 70 complaints against Starbucks for engaging in illegal practices against workers' organizing efforts. Well, in Schultz's place, here's the deal. Starbucks has offered A.J. Jones II, the executive vice president, chief public affairs officer, also acting executive VP and general counsel, Zabrina Jenkins, explained the refusal in a letter to the committee. This is what uh, Zabrina said. Given the timing of the transition, Schultz's relinquishment of any operating role in the company going forward and what we understand to be subject to the hearing, we believe another senior leader with ongoing responsibilities is best suited to address these matters. Well, <laughs> Bernie didn't take that lightly. He held nothing back in his response, calling it disappointing, but not surprising. He wrote, apparently it is easier for Mr. Schultz to fire workers who are exercising their constitutional right to form unions and to intimidate others who may be interested in joining a union than to answer questions from elected officials. And Sanders said he is willing to use the committee's subpoena power to ensure that Mr. Schultz appears. <laughs> this is one to watch. <laughs> Don't mess with Bernie. <laughs> he is fired up on this one. The uh, German trade union Verdi, very powerful union, very powerful. They stated that workers at seven different airports in Germany are planning to engage in a 24-hour strike starting today. The strike has been predicted to have significant impact, especially because it coincides with a security conference that will feature global leaders. Well, that's a way to get their attention, right? California and Nevada are among the dozens of states with movements to remove exceptions from state constitutions that permit forced labor as part of criminal punishment, a form of involuntary servitude. Incarcerated people are paid less than a dollar per hour to work in prisons, including work that may be dangerous, like cleaning and disinfecting a person's cell following a COVID infection. Also, some fight forest fighters and get out of prison to fight a fire, especially in California. You know that's going to happen again. Legislation is advanced in both California and Nevada, and each would require further approval from voters, and that would be in uh, 2024. And one more here. We uh, feature the American Federation of Government Employees this week on the show. That was on Wednesday's show. And this week, those members who work in the federal government and their allies, staged a big rally on Capitol Hill. And this all had to do with the FAIR Act, that's the Federal Adjustment of Income Rates, which would raise their pay just shy of 9% next year. And they point out, and we talked about this on the show Wednesday, right now in the private sector, if you're doing the same job in the private sector, you're making about 23% more 
So they're way behind. And if you want to check that out, just go to awfpodcast.com. So we're saluting all the brothers and sisters who work in the government who just aren't getting what they deserve when it comes to wages. AFGE.org is their website. All right, quick break. When we come back, we're going to check in with Jeff Stouffer on behalf of the American Legion. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. By the way, this next segment brought to you in part... By the Ohio Federation of Teachers, you can find more at oh.aft.org. In fact, Melissa Cropper will be joining us next Tuesday on the show. Right now, let's go to Indianapolis, Indiana. Joining us on our live line is Jeff Stouffer on behalf of the American Legion, where he serves as Media and Communications Division Director. Here to talk about the March issue and a whole lot more. they got a legislative conference coming up right around the corner and boy we got a lot on the table jeff stouffer welcome back to the show well talk to me about it you got let's just plow right into it number one in fact i want to get into this because uh president biden referenced this in his state of the union message about veteran suicide apparently they're making some progress so i'll let you pick it up from there go ahead well, that's right. It, it, there has been, um, there has been progress, and yet still about uh, you know six, seven thousand veterans a year are taking their own lives. So it remains, a, and, and it's a much higher percentage than than the general population. So it remains a top legislative priority for you know the veterans community and the American Legion. When we're definitely taking that message on the road, we're getting a lot of. A lot of awareness building through our Be the One uh, program that I've talked to you about on the show. It's just primarily the the, the idea is that we've got our members all kind of um, taking it upon themselves to be the one to communicate with just one other veteran who may be at risk of uh, of uh, suicide or, or having you know well being mental health issues. And, you know, this has so many different 
um, planks, but the, but those, that one person can make a difference, can help that veteran understand that it's okay to not be okay. And it's okay to ask for help. And that's what Mm -hmm. we're trying to impart is get them the help, get those veterans the help that they need. And, you know, there's a, veterans are very proud people do not want to be stigmatized. And sometimes that can be a, a delay that costs a life. So we're very, very, um, dialed in on reducing and improving the veteran suicide situation. And in fact, it has right now we were, we're down to about 17. That's the statistics that the president quoted and I've seen quoted, but again, the, 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 the data is, are not super clear. And, you know, when, when, and again, even the question about how do you define a veteran is a veteran, someone who is discharged or is a veteran, someone who is still in on active duty or still in the national guard. There's a lot of different variables to the statistic. So, um, but at the, at the, we do know one thing is that veterans, uh, do, uh, take their lives at a higher percentage than the rest of the population. And that's what we're trying to fix. And this uh, visit to Washington, which is what's actually going to start on February 26th, you're, you're going to ask for more funding uh, for the VA, for the programs that are available to vets? Is that is that where we're going? Well, the key is to improve access and access points. There's a that's that's a that's a critical factor. Um, mental health is obviously an issue that we're trying to address as a nation. Um, in a lot of different fronts, but but um, we have a, a really uh, strong role in peer-to-peer uh, counseling. You know, we've talked about the Buddy Check program, and yeah. the government. You know, they they, they passed a, in, a, in this late December. They passed a, in the omnibus bill. The, the VA is going to do a national Buddy Check week. Well, that's based on an American Legion program that where we do you know, person to person calls, peer to peer calls to find out how veterans in the community are doing just random calls, not a membership call, not a fundraising call, not a come participate in our event call, but Hey, what can we do for you? And that is been, I think uh, it has to have been beneficial to the reduction in the veteran suicide numbers and to improving mental health, especially during COVID. So what we're, what we're trying to do is, really uh, build awareness and strengthen the concept of using buddy checks and making building up and making stronger the VA vet center programs and VA vet centers are like um, uh, peer-to-peer counseling therapy sessions, really kind of casual, very comfortable that are generally attached to a VA facility, but they have their own kind of identity and they're extremely helpful in terms of that kind of treatment. You know, you think about those kinds of, uh, you know, things that really work in mental health and well-being are just kind of not necessarily super clinical, but much more understanding among from veteran to veteran, from person to person. And that's what we're really trying to promote. And Jeff, this uh, segues into VA healthcare, and I know the VA healthcare is unbelievably good right now always could be better and a part of that is modernizing the va healthcare system now what ways would they modernize the system do you have any details on that well you know we, we keep looking to the of course the um the the route of the electronic healthcare record system 
so that you ha- we have a continuous medical record of a veteran from the day of enlistment to the end of life where those those medical records and we have a database and communications program so that from the time that you're in the service through your VA experience and if you become disabled and, and toward the end of your life and things change, that there is one continuous medical record. That is a that is a project that has been underway for a very long time, trying to get that, you know, off the ground and make it make sense and coherent. You know, a bigger issue not a bigger issue, but an important issue along these lines is the problem that everybody's having in healthcare around the country, and that's uh, recruitment and retention of healthcare providers and particularly nurses. You know, we just, we have a nursing shortage in this country and VA is certainly by no means immune to that. And we have another thing kind of on the horizon as we look at are the, are the VA healthcare facilities, you bet, best, best care in the nation, but you know, that, that care depends on the ability to access it and to get in and have, you know, proper resources and staffing. Um, you know, what we have on the horizon now is, as we know, they just passed the passed into law, the PACT Act, and that opens up VA healthcare uh, services and eligibility to about 3.5 million post 9-11 veterans who were exposed to burn pits in Afghanistan and Iraq and in the global war on terrorism. And so the question is, and this is going to be a big question that we're going to have for Congress when our members go to Washington uh, the first week of March and when our national commander testifies before a joint session of the House and Senate uh, Veterans Affairs Committees, is now that we've passed the PACT Act, are we prepared to manage, do we have proper oversight of it? You know, this hits us from the two elements of VA, the Benefits Administration and the Healthcare Administration, the BBA and the VHA, are the benefits offices, the regional offices, the VA regional offices, properly equipped to handle what they're going to expect is a big influx. And they've already, you know, estimated, you know, hundreds of thousands of new VA claims are going to come pouring into these uh, VA regional offices to be decided. We've had problems with VA benefits backlogs before, and if you get a big thrust of new um, claims, is VA properly resourced? We're going to ask these questions frequently throughout the year. Are we adequately resourced to to manage those claims? Is VA ready to to take on all these post 9/11 veterans who are going to be coming in with conditions related to burn pits? And um, then are we adequately resourced to manage and handle and provide them that top quality care at VA once they get into the system? So there's a lot of once you passing, passing the law, the bill was hard enough. Now comes executing it. And that's the that's the primary um, message. I think that the national commander is going to try to deliver to Congress. This has happened before. I think I've talked about this before on the show, and that's that. In 1996, they had the Veterans Health Care Eligibility Reform Act, which opened VA to all who honorably who were honorably discharged from service, and that was great. Everybody loved, everybody thought, what a great thing that all veterans are now going to get the ability to use VA health care systems. And then a couple of years later, all of a sudden, VA is overrun with that vet, with veterans. Yeah. 
who have applied, who have gotten in and they love the service, but they can't get a timely appointment because they don't have enough staff with funding. That's what we want to avoid with the PACT Act. So let me get this clear. When they passed the PACT Act, which was in the last Congress, now they, they, they set this up for the claims, to, obviously for the, for the vets that were exposed to the burn pits, but it did or did not include funding to staff the VA for those claims. We, we don't know that part yet. Is, is, funding, is, funding, is funding is funding is funding is is has been estimated and and um but again those the the whether or not this comes to fruition and whether it is the accurate um number and another another question comes about you know if the vet the, the process is the process going to get bogged down and and is the funding a you know an appropriate uh, amount. Bottom line is: is do, can we facilitate a new wave of claims and a new wave of of veterans in the healthcare system? Um, they had a figure for, and I, I can't I can't quote it right off the top of my head. They had a figure for what the PACT Act was going to cost over the next ten years, and that's a lot of appropriations committee meetings between now and the end of that ten year window. How they fund it, where they go with it. It's uh, it, it is, uh, you know, I think a question about what a is it enough? Does it does it work? Do we have the staff? Even if we have the funding, even if the funding is budgeted and even allocated, are we recruiting and retaining enough healthcare professionals and VA claims um, adjudicators to handle it all? That's the, those are the questions that we're going to want to have answers to. It's, you know, you can have all the funding you want in the budget, but have you got the people to fulfill that? Yeah. Wow. I, I hate to be skeptical here, but this sounds like an accident waiting to happen. It really does. I mean, I'm looking at the numbers here. Seven million new disability claims they expect will be filed. That's a lot. <laughs> That's a lot. All of a sudden, too. Whoa. Well, oh, my and, gosh. Uh, the one, the one positive, and we've talked about this before, is right before COVID, if you'll remember, we talked about how VBA had just gotten to the point where I think that they had they had really reduced the VA the backlog of claims down to they have done they did a really good job in the last seven or eight years to gradually incrementally bring the VA uh, claims process under control and it was a big nasty monster prior to that but they did and they've used a couple of different new methods for how they decide them and when they decide them so that the veterans aren't waiting forever and never getting the claims. You know, they, the, you know, you hear that term deny, deny until you die kind of question. Um, I don't, I think that now they find the, the, the VA had heading into COVID and I think continuing through that had done a really good job to really kind of control the backlog, the the number of claims that we're waiting, you know, 90 days, 125 days for a decision. So those, so those are good signs that, that it was, at least we're not, at least we're not adding a whole bunch more claims on top of an already, you know, brewing problem. Well, this is going to be one heck of a conference. It starts on uh, February 26th and it should go to the uh, 2nd of March. Will you be uh, carrying or streaming any of this on on legion.org is that is that a possibility or no 
Yeah, we'll be. You'll be able to. Uh, our visitors on our website will be able to view the National Commander's testimony before Congress with questions from members of Congress on March first. So March first is the is the day, and then we're going to have that. Uh, we're, we we basically tie in with. Uh, I think it's the House Veterans Affairs Committee's uh, streaming their, their video, and they do a stream on it, and then we connect to that, and then we all, we'll also have our. Our, our treatment of the Washington conference. So there's a lot of things going on in this Washington conference. Um, one of which I want to mention is that on February 28th, we're having another U S chamber of commerce foundation, hiring our heroes career fair um, for veterans in the DC area and wherever. And then also a resume writing and, you know, job, job acquisition workshop also during the Washington conference. So there's some good things going on for those who are looking for, um, you know, careers after service or train or new careers as veterans. So we're, we're working hard on getting, you know, working in the, in the area of gainful employment, um, for those who have served in the military and finding the right positions for them, for their skill sets. And that's going to be a big deal. Yeah, there's a lot that's going to be covered for complete updates. I suggest you go to legion.org, legion.org. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Jeff Stouffer joining us on our live line on behalf of the American Legion. Later in the show, we're going to check in with Norm Warnett, who is president of the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans. Back in a few minutes. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's liuna.org. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The the United United Steelworkers. The largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in In the the US, US, Canada, Canada, and the the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steelworkers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. Buildings bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Iron Workers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 iron workers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union iron workers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our iron workers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. Now, back to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up, receive our shows on a regular basis, and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. Let's go back to Indianapolis, rejoin Jeff Stouffer on behalf of the American Legion, American Legion Magazine. Got to check out the uh, March issue. If you are a member, you should be getting it shortly. 
Veterans Strengthening America and March is Women's History Month. You have an interesting story to share about a military women's memorial. Talk to me about it, Jeff. Go ahead. Right. It's the well. We're uh, last fall the the military women's memorial at Arlington National Cemetery. You know, celebrated its uh, 25th anniversary. The American Legion, American Legion Auxiliary, have of course been very big supporters of the of that. And this being Women's History Month, we uh, caught up with Phyllis Wilson, who is the 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 president of the National Women's Memorial, and she uh, gave us a Q and A. We actually caught up with her in Orlando during the Student Veterans of America National Conference in early January, and we interviewed her, did a podcast um, a conversation with her, and she was great. We uh, one big part of this, and this, the the Women Veterans Memorial is really uh, got, military women's memorial has done very well but it can kind of get lost at arlington and um one of the things that she wants to do is draw more attention to it because arlington is such a big thing and uh it's a beautiful structure and it's uh it's kind of been repurposed from an earlier um uh, struck, uh memorial building but lots of interesting amazing information in the hall of honor and what phyllis has asked us to do is to call on our members and all women who have served to go on womensmemorial.org and tell their story. They're collecting kind of like the Veterans History Project, but a unique, a separate um, data bank. And to tell the story, tell all the story of all women veterans, women veterans, how women veterans served, what they've done. The stories are phenomenal. But if they, they have, she says that they've got about 305,000 stories in their database, but she says that's only about 10% of all that should be on there. So they want to ramp that number up, get those stories of women veterans told, and this being Women's History Month, what no better time than to for those women who have served our nation to, give a, to get, get on that site and to deliver that for the posterity and the future of our country. Jeff, can you run down that uh, that website again for us? Yeah, it's uh, womensmemorial.org. Okay, womensmemorial.org. Go right there, share your story. And to what Jeff said, we need some more stories. We're only about 10% of where we should be. And, and right now you said we have over 300,000 stories. Is that right? So, wow. Yeah. I mean, you think about all the women who've served, and it's the growing, it's the fastest growing demographic, if you look at demographic categories, in the military. So we have, it is an increasing number of current active duty and, you know, of course, newly discharged younger veterans. We'll get those stories of young, younger veterans. If you're a, just be, you know, the, the term veteran does not mean older veteran. The term veteran right. means that you have served. So if you're a, you know, 28 years old or 27 years old and you're, you're out of the service, or even if you're still in, you're please enter your story and tell, tell the world, tell the, tell the national women's memorial, what it is you've done to serve our country. Yeah. Well, you and I are veterans in our professions, but we didn't serve in the military. So, yeah, the word is used quite a lot in different ways. All right, let's uh, let's do one more here. And this is uh, something that you covered personally. I know you're from Idaho and you went there a couple months back to do this story. Model prisoners. I did not realize there's so many of our military vets that are incarcerated. 200,000 prisoners across the country. And this story 
happens to deal with what's going on in the state of Idaho. Jeff, can uh, can you share us uh, a couple of things about this story? Yeah, it's uh, the Idaho the Idaho State Correctional Center um, south of Boise is the home of American Legion Post 201, which is the uh, uh, has an, an American Legion post with about 50 members in it, and they have become quite a phenomenon there. Uh, that post has uh, during COVID, very interestingly, they they created uh, teams that kept the facility sanitized, you know, uh, floor to ceiling every day working in shifts. So, you know, to prevent COVID from spreading inside the facility, but way more than that, they have, they do community service work. They, they have nearly 5,000 hours of service projects. They, um, they, 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 they restore bicycles for low income children that, you know, that need, that want, that need bikes. They do, um, they, 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 they've actually raised money within, inside the post and have, you know, supported American Legion Boys State. They have supported American Legion Baseball. And one of the kind of unique and I think interesting pieces of this is they also have a quote unquote crocheting program inside the prison. We got a sidebar on this from the guy who kind of got it started. A, former prisoner who's now an active legionnaire and he's he's out and com- completed his his uh his service and served his served his sentence he's been cleared he's on parole and he's he, he talked about how he got crocheting going inside the prison and um while it wasn't what he called a cool guy's sport and nobody really wanted to do it and i thought it was kind of crazy at the beginning all of a sudden one by one people gradually began crocheting now they crochet stuffed animals and mittens and socks and they deliver them for residents of the state veterans home in boise and mothers of domestic abuse and domestic abuse shelters and then um, they put a collection together and they auction them off at the Department of Idaho's um, national or state events, and they raise the money for, for the Legion programs. But the the thing about it is what why I went there to do this is the work they're doing in community service at that post that in in the prison has been recognized by WorkBay, and they're doing a, they did a video to make a model out of it to share with all other. Um, uh, institutions like that, correctional institutions all across the country. So the Idaho, the Boise Post in in uh, in that prison is now going to be sort of the the the, the blueprint for other um, prisons all across the country for so that people are get a sense of pride and self and and develop some skills and develop some you know uh, community service. Uh, um, you know, uh, experiences and the, the, the legionnaires and the veterans are very proud to have served their country, no matter what they've done, whatever mistakes that they made to get into prison. We have about, you know, we have about, uh, you know, 25, 30 American Legion posts. And I did a kind of a little survey of our department adjutants all across the country, you know, from Delaware to Virginia, South Dakota, Indiana, Indiana has 13 Inside inside uh, correctional institutions, Louisiana has two. So we have posts, legion posts, where veterans actually have their have their they have their meetings. They get to wear their caps. They have 
they have you know uh, patriotic events and they they do uh, honor service to our country and try to try to engage that and even if they're in for a long time you know the warden says that you know this is really good uh, um morale building and culture building activity that kind of and the and the veterans inside the prisons and at least in boise are showing you know great leadership for the other population for the remaining of the the remainder of the population and so it's been made into a national model on work bay and they're going to start to distribute that to other uh, correctional facilities all across the country so that they can basically create a a program for it like you say two hundred thousand veterans All good. In fact, if you check out page 20 when you get your uh, copy and belong to the American Legion, you got to read the story about Mark Pearson and how he started crocheting, crocheting for convicts. What a great story. Model prisoners in the state of Idaho. All contained in the March issue of the American Legion magazine for complete updates. And also that testimony coming up from the National Commander, which is right around the corner. Just go to legion.org. Always a pleasure. Always informative. You take care, and uh, we'll talk to you in a month, okay? Thanks for having me, Flash. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break. Norm Warnett is president of the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans. He's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. It takes Lyuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of LIUNA, the Laborers International Union of North America, delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll free at 1-800-443-3752. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at BoydWatterson.com. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast, AWF Union Podcast. Remember this, too. If you like a show, please share that show. We count all the downloads. Our sponsors like to know how many people are listening to America's Workforce. We are growing the audience each and every day. And that's our mission in 2023, to grow the show in 2023. You can check out all the shows at awfpodcast.com, awfpodcast.com. Let's go to uh, Central Ohio right now. And filling in for Rich Fiesta is Norm Wernett. He's been on the show a number of times. He is president of the Ohio Alliance for Retired Americans. National website, retiredamericans.org. 
Norm, it's been a while. How are we doing today, brother? Doing well, doing well. It's been an, been almost a year, actually. Since Has it been that talk. long? Wow, wow. You're doing well? Your health is good and all that? Hanging in there. <laughs> it has its, uh, has its uh, elements, but uh, we're doing well. Every day is a blessing. Every Amen. day. All right, let's talk about Social Security and Medicare, which, uh, which really kind of <laughs> got a lot of attention here in the last couple of weeks, uh, especially when President Biden referenced it in the State of the Union message. And, uh, well, when the, when the House went over to the Republican side, we heard right away that there might be possible cuts because of the deficit. So I'm going to let you pick it up from there. Norm, you've been doing this for a long time. This has been a seesaw battle with one party versus the other party. And if you go back even further, there's been a lot of people over the years that they called Social Security a Ponzi scheme. Why do we do that? If you can't save your own money, that's your problem. You you know the attitude out there, don't you? <laughs> well, you know, it, it's, it's actually, I, I was... Uh, Looking back at when we last spoke, um, Ron Johnson and uh, this guy Scott out of uh, Florida were both throwing out early in last year's campaign the idea that they were going to sell, and they were actually fundraising on this, they were going to sell the idea of using the debt ceiling as uh, leverage uh, to cut Social Security and Medicare. Uh, it, 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 and, and then just the other day I was cleaning off my laptop, um, desktop and, and ran across a, a letter from 2013, uh, that, that was saying the same thing. It was, uh, a letter to Speaker Boehner, uh, from the crazy caucus. Uh, it's now known as the Freedom Caucus. They hadn't split off yet. Jim Jordan had uh, set the uh, Republican Study Commission uh, looking at how do we how do how do we tackle the deficit and the debt? It seems every time that they get a little uh, you know a small margin in the Congress, they raise this issue. They don't raise it when uh, they have a Republican president. They they actually they've increased uh, the deficit and the debt significantly in each of the Republican administrations. So we're the, we're the um, uh, target for some reason. Older folks are the target for some reason in, the, in this um, drive for some reason uh, to all of a sudden make sure the boogeyman of the deficit and the debt is taken care of. And it never is. It never is because for the last 40 years they haven't paid their fair share. They keep mm-hmm. giving away the revenue. We work for a lifetime. I, I, I have, you know, I worked for 45 years um, in the public and the private sector. I put away money into Social Security and Medicare like everybody else does. We earn those benefits. It's because of those benefits that I have a retirement. Um, 50% of the American workforce right now depends uh, on uh, Social Security for most of, uh, for more than 50% of their retirement savings. Their one in four Americans right now depends, who are over 65, 
have 90, uh, rely on Social Security for 90% of their income. It, 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 it's just crazy that, that this even becomes an issue. Uh, why they decide to do this, I don't know. But it's been a constant battle. Uh, we had a, a, a crisis in 2011, 2013, 2015, and now all of a sudden, 10 years later, in 2023, they want to raise it again. Why? Uh, no one knows. Because they don't really want to solve the problem. The problem mm-hmm. is, you want, to, you want to look back in 1983, they stopped collecting 90% of the wages. For those folks who are over, you know, um, this year it's, it's somewhere around $150,000, I don't know, uh, they, they cap off payment into Social Security. Um, there, there are new plans to, to, uh, to raise that cap uh, and, and uh, to protect what we have earned. But these folks on the Republican side decide, well, no, we don't want to do that. It's, 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 just, it's just crazy. And, and what are they going to do with the money they, quote, save? Give it away again? Mm-hmm. Uh, and again, and again to the very, very wealthy. Uh, that, that, that doesn't help American workers and American families. And in terms of Medicare, what was ironic was this, this Senator Scott out of Florida is the very guy who was stealing from Medicare in his hospital corporation. He was yep. stealing our money. And, and then, then he wants to cut it. That's the irony of this. That's that's the craziness of this. Norm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Those of you listening right now, if you get an opportunity, just Google Senator Richard Scott's name and you can read what he did in the state of Florida. And uh, to my recollection, I guess nobody went to jail. They they took a lot of money. They They, they skimmed Medicare and Medicaid. Yeah. in their hospital system, and they just had to pay a fine. Is that right? Yeah, they pay they pay a, a, a fine. It's that kind of corporate uh, manipulation of the system, and they get away with it. Um, you know, if you and I went out and stole someone's car or uh, embezzled money, we'd get we wouldn't get a fine. We'd go to the jail. Right. Whether it was a federal prison or a, a, a state prison, we'd go to jail. Yeah. But they get away with paying a fine and walking away and then become a U.S. senator. It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's, it's sort of silly, the silliness of, of this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And have the gall to say we'd need to cut Social Security. It's, it's just amazing to me. You know, that, that dollar figure, I believe it's 160000 where you don't pay into the system for this year. It keeps on going yeah. up. Okay. Bernie Sanders has floated an idea, take it up to 250000 And I know Rich Fiesta and I have been talking about scrapping the cap, which would, you know, eliminate it altogether. So people like, like a Bill Gates or a Jeff Bezos, you think about them on the first hour of the year, that 160 is paid up. You know, they don't pay into Social Security the rest of the year. So that would definitely help the program along. Now, is that getting any any traction? I'm probably not in a Republican House right now, will it? In, in the House, in the House side, it, it's, it's uh, not going to get Republican traction. There are Republicans who have talked with us about scrapping the cap and about, you know, modernizing 
uh, in the way that, that we want to see it in Social Security expansion. Bernie Sanders and uh, Elizabeth Warren, I believe, are um, uh, introducing a bill to expand Social Security. And, and that expansion uh, is similar to an expansion effort we had last year with John Larson out of Connecticut. Um, the, the, the object is that Social Security ought to cover more, uh, have a better level of benefit uh, for those that, uh, particularly who earn lower incomes, uh, and and ought to ought to be able to do the things that it used to be able to do, uh, cover children, for instance, uh, so that they could get an education, um, whether that's uh, going on to college or going on to trade school, um, making sure that they have the ability to 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 get a full ability to step into the economy that we are building. Um, the, the the expansion would would protect our families. Social Security was set up. We set up the system for ourselves because nobody else would. And and we have, you know, protection for um, if I die, my wife uh, is protected. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I would have died uh, when I was a, uh, an active worker um, and my child was still at home, uh, my child would have been protected. Uh, we, we do it in, in terms of disability. My my workmate, um, Michael, uh, Michael had MS. Uh, he uh, could not continue to work. So it protected him before he reached retirement age. For right. he and his family, he could he could have that that stability in his life. That's why we invented it. And exactly. after a life of work, it's there for us. We earn it. We put into it. it. It's it's there. That's why we started paying ahead, and and built up the 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 substantial amount that's in there. It's in trillions of dollars, so that this this generation and the next can have those protections. That's what it's all about. It's a social insurance program. RetiredAmericans.org. Norm Warnett, you take care. Keep up the fight, brother. Okay. Thank you much. Have fun. All right, that'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. On Monday, President's Day, we're going to check in with the president of the Tennessee AFL-CIO and why unions need to protect our democracy. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful weekend. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce radio podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.